0: Mike Solana is the editor-in-chief of Pirate Wires, an independent media company that continues to question the public narrative and talk about all of the topics that you'll care about. He also is an entrepreneur-in-residence at Founders Fund, and he is one of the best independent critical thinkers that I know. This conversation covers all of the insanity of the last couple of years and tries to seek out where there is truth and fact compared to all of the conspiracy theories and the fiction that you may read in mainstream headlines. Here is my conversation with Mike Solano. Sanity and truth in an insane world. Where do we begin?
1: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, what are you talking about today? I'm like, no idea. There's (laughs) a lot to cover.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with the insane world. Um, It feels like, and I'm going to uh, speak for the audience, that we all went to sleep in 2019, and it was kind of crazy. We all had the internet. But when we woke up in 2020, everything got insane. There was the politics. There was the economy, the Fed. Uh, there was the public health. I mean, you just go down the line, and it's literally the meme clown world yeah. became popular for a reason. How do you evaluate Like, what happened, and like, how did we get deeper and deeper into this insane world?
1: I think you're right. I think that it is. it was something, it was like 2020. I wouldn't say that things became extremely clownish. I would say that that was the year that it all became impossible to ignore. It was like suddenly, like there were a lot of things that were kind of had gone off of the rails. But in the middle of a pandemic, suddenly you needed people to be serious. And it was like at that moment that the complete lack of seriousness became a disaster. Um, and I, and that's what, I, Like if you think back, like, Sort of the height of uh maybe the sort of identity politics and stuff like that it wasn't 2020 in my opinion right before 2020 i was saying it was over it was 2017 at the very height when like aziz ansari was being you know murdered for a bad date and things like this i was like it could never get worse than that and then 2020 happened and rioting was legalized and you were like uh wow it's like there's like no bottom here but i think actually what was happening was like That was uh, it. Was like it was like behavior extinction. It was like to get the same level of 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 attention. I think for behavior, people had to go and get a little more extreme. And plus, it was a pandemic, and people were were losing their minds. But yeah, for sure, that was the year that everything kind of
0: so it's interesting. Let's take the legalization of riots, um, which again, most people won't even talk about at this point. Um, There's the discourse, and then there's the like. Actions in your local community. So I was living in New York while some of this was going on and there was three different events all within like a two or three uh, week um, uh, timeline. There was one video that went viral in I think it was like Washington Square Park or uh, maybe down the Flatiron or something where literally the police were having a fist fight with citizens. Like there was a bunch of chaos and and the one angle of the video was like, Two guys squared up, one's a cop and one's a citizen, and they're like punching each other, like like a backyard school fight or something.
1: Yeah, but I remember. I mean, there was the, we've again the, like this stuff has been coming for a while. I forget now even what the protest was, but a while back there was it was some kind of equality protest, I believe. Maybe it, maybe it was twenty twenty. I have to go back and look, but there was a girl. And if you were to just Google like Molotov cocktail girl, I, this will come up. And I remember th- there's like this crazy riot, and this reporter, I mean, usually the media is like doing all sorts of crazy shit, but in this case, I cannot blame them. They were just like, hey, so what's going on here? The reporter said to this person in front of like ca- absolute chaos everywhere. This girl's holding a Molotov cocktail, and, and and she's just like blithely sort of like explaining what's going on, and the reporter narrates it. She's like, and then she just, she just tossed it into a cop car and lit it on fire. So then the, she gets, that that girl actually got arrested, um, and then the framing was like, I mean, come on, like, mistakes were made, right? <laughs> like, like, let he among us who has not thrown a Molotov cocktail at a cop car cast the first stone. And it, it's like, that's, I mean, that's really some, that's some crazy shit. In the moment, in 2020, that's when I started writing for Pirate Wires. So it was like, I think that was the most depressed I ever was, that June of 2020, when all of the crazy behavior from the preceding years Kind of amplified and uh, in the context of this, you know, really scary at the time it was scary virus that we didn't know much about. So I started writing just to like kind of make sense of the world for myself uh,
0: and then it connected with people and I've been doing it since. So before we get into pirate wire, some of the things you guys have covered, um, you work at a place where uh, founders fund previously at founders fund. Well, I'm still there. you, you are an entrepreneur in residence yes. now, right? Which uh, is like uh, the best position to be in, because that means that you definitely can work on whatever you want, I guess. I mean, I always could, and now it's like official. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is known for independent thinking, right? Uh, and now you're writing. And when you started to write, one, you're very articulate. You have a very kind of uh, memorable way of writing, right? Um, but you're willing to take on topics that most people just won't touch. Or if they do write about it, it is from what I would consider the like consensus view. So you'll see a New York Times article, and they'll write something, and you're like, oh, is that like what everyone believes? And then I'll get an email from you on your Substack, and I'm like, oh, no, that's not what everyone believes. And like, right. you actually took it head on. Where does that come from? So I believe that I think the average
1: person doesn't think much about what's going on at all and i I think they're kind of looking around for for cues on what they're allowed to say and things like this and i understand that impulse because it's scary like there are real consequences to kind of saying the wrong thing and uh especially over the last few years i mean that's the whole game is to terrify people into not not thinking about the world you know you just assume that your thoughts are incorrect and things like this my assumption is that if i just make my case plainly um and not in a mean way unless someone really deserves it which occasionally happens but but not be mean if you could if you, if you could not be if you could just if you could just make the case uh in the most obvious way i think the average person would see the reason in it mm-hmm. and and they'll see that you're at least not trying to cause like trouble you're you're really just expressing a, a, what i think are mostly for the most part uh, they're not all common sense, but when it comes to like, things like crime and things like this, crime, homelessness, drugs, those tend to be more common sense positions. And then when it comes to technology and analysis and things like that, that's maybe a little more complicated, but only because you're not steeped in it, which is the other thing. Like, I like to bring people. I happen to know a lot about what's going on in tech just because I'm fortunate enough to sit with people who are really great at this stuff. And so I like to kind of like, like share that with, with, with my audience.
0: Pirate Wires, the name uh was very intentional explain what is a pirate wire why why did you call it that
1: man i mean the first thing is like it's just a vibe (laughs) it just makes me happy like it just came to me one day i was like that's cool i'm gonna call it that um but i mean a pirate wire is like it's like pirate radio is what i think about i think about the forbidden things that you're not allowed to say and uh and i kind of just also think about i mean we all live online now and that's it's like this clownish cartoon reality. Um, and I, I imagine it almost as like the open seas and there are these people who are bringing a lot to it. There are people who are causing damage out there. There are fights and wars. There's giant sea monsters. And we're just like not a part of the main nations. We're like this little pirate ship or this little now pirate fleet kind of off to the side, maybe building our own little pirate nation in a kind of hidden cove. Um, and that's just how I think about it. I try and have fun online. Uh, and, and laugh at the really crazy stuff because that's You're, also a gateway. I feel like that's how people connect with each other.
0: You were the first person to say this to me. Um, you said that you bought a bunch of encyclopedias, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. And you were reading them, and I was like, what a fucking nerd <laughs> in my head. But I was like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Which analog. the connection between my brain and my mouth, like it translated into, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And then you explained, Well, maybe they're going to change what's in the encyclopedia. Yeah. And I was like, that's a crazy thought. Fast forward two years. Not such a crazy thought.
1: This is the crazy, I think this is probably the craziest thing about our information landscape is that it's totally malleable. And I mean, the the sort of dream of the internet when I was a kid uh, was like, this was going to be free, unlimited information. All of the information that exists in the world was going to now be available to everybody. And so you have this idea of what information meant back then, like even a couple decades ago, information, you were imagining like like the official record. Now, everyone would have it. The official information, like like the sort of scientific studies and things like that, all of that would be available. What we did not see coming was the fact that everything changes. So obviously, Wikipedia is the uh, is an easy example, but the dictionary, right? Like like definitions in the dictionary change. Like actual articles that used to exist have been altered in real time. They're not even all you know. You, they're, not, they're not even given notation. On social media, things are said and then deleted constantly. The Wayback Machine. You can just have anything wiped, any any sort of history. And so the idea of an encyclopedia, which Britannica, I don't think has. I think their last encyclopedia might have been in the Late 2000, it might have been like 2008, or I, you'd have to double. Check, I'm not sure of the date, but but it's a, it's, a, it's at least 10 years old. Like the the, the last uh, edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica, um, it suddenly had value that I 20 years ago thought was laughable. It's like who care? Like analog, like paper. Wow, are you living in the primitive times? I could never think of the utility of that of of a hard record, um, and that's the weird thing that I'm grappling with. I think day to day is like. My love of technology, I've been a sort of progressive like techno utopian guy for a lot of my formative years with the consequences of that that we're seeing increasingly all around us. Um, And the the malleability of or the malleable nature of information is one of those things where like in a world where everything's changing, when you can't when you there's no record of of what was said five seconds ago. I remember Amy Comey uh, Barrett saying uh she used the word the phrase sexual preference in her hearing before she became a justice and immediately everyone was like oh that's you know really offensive just look at the dictionary the dictionary that day changed the definition of sexual preference and and that became a part of the story and it's like that wait
0: wait just just so like people understand like when he says change the definition, like literally online they went and they changed the definition that day in
1: real time in response to a Huffington Post article that was going viral calling her you know a bigot and whatnot and sexual preference is like, I mean, I'm gay. I know gay people who have used that phrase like not recently. it's kind of dated, but is it is it bigoted? uh no, that's not bigoted to me. that's not it's like not like dropping an f-bomb. It's not the same thing and that is how it was it was reframed now that one topic doesn't really matter so much as the sort of high level fact of our reality, which is that we have no record that we can go back to and say this is the truth. This is the thing that we all said we agreed on because that doesn't exist anymore. Um, And so I think like a high level problem we all have now is like. Given that that's the reality of our life,
0: how do you make sense of what's going on? And so how do you balance that with like, let's take uh, the lab leak, which uh, you and I have had plenty of uh, nice conversations about. 2020, I think it was Zero Hedge was the first one I saw that said it. They were deleted within minutes, you know, hours, whatever it was, uh, which had the opposite effect of not like, oh, wow, look at those morons. Actually, it was like, huh, maybe that's true, (laughs) right? Of like, why why would they not want us to read that? Um, And so from there to eventually I remember... um, Somebody put together a bunch of like pseudonymous people put together uh, like a Google Drive or like a like a Google Doc that was circulating around for a while, and they had I mean incredibly detailed research. It was all cited, like it was very well done. Where I would say like a professional did it or a group of professionals, but they weren't willing to put their name on it. Right. And so that was circulating around on Twitter for a while, uh, and then I remember the first politician who said it on national television, and they were yelling and screaming and saying you know uh, conspiracy theories and like you know all that kind of stuff. To now we have reports like the Department of Energy, which I'm not sure why they're looking into it. Because they run a bunch of labs. Got it. So they run all of our national labs and a bunch of international labs. These organizations now that previously were like, "There's no way that this is true. This is you know conspiracy uh, theory stuff." They're like, "Oh, we have low level confidence. Some of them have you know medium level confidence. Whatever. They're like that is uh, quote unquote the truth." Right. Has the truth evolved throughout that time? Or is it that now it's just okay to talk about certain things that maybe were off, you know, off the table before? Like how do you think about that situation as a good example? The lab leak is it's a lot like Hunter Biden's
1: laptop, right? It's like this issue that is just it is like <laughs> in more than one way. Rosetta Stone for the information landscape. You yeah. look at it and you're like, oh, that's how everything works. Got it. Um, with with the with with the lab leak. I don't, first of all, my confidence that, that the virus leaked from a lab is not, you know, 90%. I'm probably, like, 60. I, I think, like, I'm, like, 60% it came from a lab, 40% zoonotic. Like, I don't, I, it, it's, like, it seems likely, and yet there's evidence kind of in arguments in both directions. What bothered me about the lab leak was that we couldn't talk about it. Um, and we couldn't ask those questions. And we, we weren't even allowed. I mean, in the early days, there wasn't an investigation happening. It was like the Times was asking. I linked back to, a, a, I don't know if it was the Times, but I, the other day I was looking back at my own commentary on this stuff. And I came across a Wikipedia article at the time that linked to, uh, in, 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 in evidence that the lab leak theory was complete, a conspiracy theory with no validity whatsoever. There were three broken links. And the fourth went to a who it was like a World Health Organization slash uh, like China thing where basically like Chinese, like like the CCP agents were like, hey, so like Chinese officials th- were like, it didn't happen. <laughs> and, and that was their evidence. And it's like, okay, that's crazy. Like what was happening back then was just we weren't even asking the question mm-hmm. um, because we weren't allowed to. And there are a lot of reasons that make sense. It's like maybe people wanted to work with china at the time you don't want to alienate them like they know a lot about the virus potentially like i understand in the same way that fauci lied about masks in the first time he lied about masks when it was like oh no you don't want masks because he wanted to make sure there were enough masks for all the doctors and things like that which he's come out
0: and said he's that's apologized
1: he for it and well i knew that even then that was obvious even then it was like obviously that's what they're trying to do but the problem with that is it destroys and this is a separate subject but like the problem with something like that is it completely destroys our trust in these people who we need to trust in the moment, in, in the middle of a, of a crisis. And so it's like with a lot of these things, with the lab leak thing and with the Hunter Biden thing back in the day, like I can I can understand the, I can understand why someone would lie, they think for our own good, however, they shouldn't have that much power for uh, for these reasons, because they're often wrong. And on things like this, it's like you're wrong about our public health or something like that. Um, it can be really dangerous.
0: What I always appreciate about you is uh, you don't have super strong belief on the lab leak or on uh, even like the Fauci situation. Like You're able to unpack, oh, I see from their seat why they would do that. Or I see why uh, the incentive pulls them towards that action. How do you look at a situation? Like, Let's just say something happens tomorrow. How do you go through that process? Is it just like you sit there and like, oh, if I was in their seat, these would be the options? Or like, well, what is that process like so that people can help as people in the audience learn about situations in the future? What would be your advice or kind of your, like, very practical guide of, like, here's how to think through something?
1: I think that you have to just be comfortable with your own curiosity and, like accept the idea that you are allowed to have an opinion and you are allowed to ask questions. The, The lab leak was like, we're talking about a virus that was supposed to, that perhaps has emerged completely randomly like, down the street from a coronavirus factory. That's insane. Like, you should be able to ask questions like, hey, what's going on over at the place where they're studying rare bat coronaviruses, like, down the block? That is, like, that's not a crazy question to ask. And the fact that we were framed like these crazy people is insane. And so you have to just be like, okay, well, screw all of them. Like, what makes, what am I curious about? What doesn't add up to me? And then you just ask those questions. Um, The danger is that you... You suddenly start believing everything that the other people who are asking similar questions are are saying they believe. Because online, I don't even know what people believe. A lot of people say shit and they don't even believe it. It's just identity-based posturing or they want attention. and It's just a a really complicated environment.
0: So there is the fear of uh, just believing the consensus, right? And uh, I read X mainstream outlet. They said this. That's my belief. Uh, And so you want to avoid that. But you also don't want to then become the conspiracy theorist, like an actual conspiracy yeah. theorist who's like, oh, my God, I think that there's an alien who, like, brought this diamond down from the sky. I and mean, like...
1: <laughs> let's not
0: let's not say never. <laughs> so uh, so how, do, how do you, I guess, like on the other side, you know, I almost think of it like bumpers. Right. You want to be able to ask questions and do all this stuff. But like, look, you can go on a website online and pick your like super novel topic. And you start reading stuff and, like, you very quickly could become convinced of something that, like, if you're able to take a step back and be like, wait a minute, this is insane. Like, there's no way that, you know, A, B, and C all add up. How do you prevent, like, over-rotating to what would be the conspiracy side as well?
1: Well, first of all, some conspiracies exist. And so it's like, to be a conspiracy theorist, like like, there have been conspiracies. Um... So you don't want to close yourself off to the topic, generally speaking. I mean, the UFO thing would be a good example, right? Like this conspiracy has completely flipped there. For my entire life, up until 2017, the conspiracy was that uh, the government was hiding evidence of UFOs. Now the government's like, yo, we have got a lot of evidence of UFOs. <laughs> um, Here's videos. And so the conspiracy theorists, just just happened in the last one, the conspiracy theorists were like, the government is lying about UFOs to distract you from either the chemical fires in Ohio or, like, they want you to go to war with China or, like, whatever <laughs> it is. So there's, like, a new conspiracy theory. And so... Or several. Um, and I guess it's, like... Again, it's the curiosity. And you have to just trust yourself uh, to... Just... Two things. One, tr- follow your own curiosity. And then maybe the other thing is, like, anytime a story is is too good, and this happens to me on Twitter all the time. There are people who are like, have, there's like some story, there's some some news thing that seems like just too perfectly in sync with all of my priors. Like, I, I want to roast it. I want to dunk on it. I want to be like, look what the world is doing. Uh, you just got to go and actually read the article, and, uh, and then you have to try and find some other <laughs> counter sources. Like, what are people who are mad about this thing? I do this all the time. I, I, this, I read the New York Times a lot. Um, I think I am sort of naturally like a little bit opposite them ideologically not like very far but um i think it's it's a healthy i feel to be reading people who uh i don't want to say don't agree with me but but uh challenge me in a way
0: are you looking for content when you do that like i almost think of it as a comedian a comedian goes lives their life and they're like they're looking for oh look i saw the situation that's going to be a good joke they go back and they kind of come up with the uh, the set or are you going to the websites and like i need shit to write about and so like that one
1: i look at these idiots
0: i've never not known to write about <laughs> i've got like a
1: lot of things i want to talk about uh but that's probably why because i have i'm like compulsively like reading up on what's going on I, I find it just fun and exciting um and i consider that sort of my job now is to is to like follow this stuff and uh and provide my perspective that i, I hope can be useful to some people
0: you've been pulled into um some very interesting uh, debates. Most notably, you were uh, maybe rightfully or wrongfully uh, labeled as a billionaire media <laughs> tycoon uh, by a politician, literally. Uh, Lorena Gonzalez. Can you explain the
1: situation? I'm grateful. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for, for what she gave me. It was really awesome.
0: <laughs> so explain what she uh, attacked you about, and then talk a little bit about, as a private citizen, yes, you're in the tech industry, but you're a private citizen. Like. Do they see it as a threat is that why now the playing field has been leveled on twitter do they see what is a threat a politician going after a private citizen on twitter or vice versa Uh, like how do you think about you know there used to be this very big gap right and like you couldn't talk to your politician you could like write a letter and hope they got it you may be able to call and like talk to someone on their team maybe you went to an event and they were like on stage but you couldn't like be sitting on the toilet and like firing off at a politician, and they're responding back. Yeah, you you could never. I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think it's not just them either. It's it's it's
1: politicians, it's public health officials, it's the media. Um, they're these are all the people who were used to getting relentless criticism were people who worked in the private industry. Um, so j- journalists often say that that CEOs and things like this are thin-skinned. Tech people are thin-skinned. I think. That actually, there's some truth to that. Like, no one likes to have negative things written about them in the press, and everybody, when someone neg- when something negative is written about them, their your first reaction is like, well, they're lying, kind of, because they they kind of are. Like, if someone really hates you, they're 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 not lying; they're like framing things in a way that make you seem really bad, uh, and so that's what you're sort of naturally reacting to, and that's I think understandable. But still, pu- public companies are more they're used to this in a way, I guess. The government has been as well, well the Republican, anyone who is Republican in government is used to criticism. Um, I think there's something much more intimate about this, this like this mass of people who are are very close to you. and like you said, it's like it's just some guy on his toilet like talking to one of the most powerful senators in the country, and they sometimes respond because they feel like they have to because everybody's looking. Um, it's very threatening to, the, to, to power in general. Lorena was almost a good sport about it. Um, this is the woman who told Elon. Uh, fuck you. And then he was like, "Okay, cool, I'm out," and he just like left the state, um, with with a few
0: billion dollars in taxes. So uh, he, yeah, she
1: we got in a thing, and she she was like, you know, billionaires like you could never understand. Um, and that just became a part of my internet like, bodysuit. I, I was just like added. I just like, have all these like strange titles that I collect. But I, I think the anger generally from people like that is this: it's like this sense of, of uh, of how dare you, and maybe fear because they're not wrong that. Um, you do need certain people to be just in charge. And like this feels, this does feel, this much chaos uh, does feel sort of unstable sometimes.
0: A lot of, uh, I think what you and I get out of uh, the internet and enjoy talking about is kind of like, look how crazy this is, this is insane, what are you people doing, etc. cetera. What's going right? What are the positives? Like when you wake up in the morning, where do you look and you're like, man, this is actually like really energizing and puts me in the mood to go and like take the hill because I feel like we're, uh, we're actually making progress
1: somewhere. Uh, I think there's a lot uh, more uh, sort of every day. I think that in the first place, I don't know what to call it. Some people call it wokeness. Some people call it like, uh, like identitarianism or whatever that thing was that made it impossible for us to speak. Um, that sort of infected every single aspect of our lives over the last few years, where uh, we were reduced to our gender and our sex and things like this, our race. I think that's kind of over like I think or at least its monopoly on culture is over like you're very much now allowed to to criticize these things. And you can tell that by the fact that there's an entire sort of like cottage industry online that exists to make fun of it and to and to attack it and to criticize it. There are successful activists now, I would say, on the other side of it who are making a lot of progress in places like Florida. and progress you know their version of of that which is to say but like that that was impossible a few years ago there's much more i would say balance um i think that's great i think that uh in the context of i i write a lot about local politics i think it's this weirdly important thing that nobody cares about you know it's not it's not sexy um it doesn't pay well and yet you know the president doesn't really matter in your day to day life. We realized under COVID, the thing that mattered were like the five psychopaths on your board of education, you know? <laughs> like they had all the power. And so like p- people have to have to care about that kind of stuff. Um, and what I've noticed, especially in San Francisco, I mean, I live in Miami, but spend a, uh, I spend a good enough amount of time now in San Francisco to kind of be aware of what's going on. And all my friends still live there. Um, San Francisco gets a lot of shit for being the craziest city in the country it's not i've been all over the country every city is bad like they're all they all have the same problems they all have a drug problem they all have a homeless problem they all have those crazy people on the board of education all of them there's like not an exception to that in the big cities the difference is people in san francisco we're talking about it and getting attention for it. And now what you're seeing are people in a lot of these cities who are really pushing back. We've seen evidence of that across the board. There are people who want just basic, very, very basic things. Like they want the schools, the schools are now open, but like they're like, the schools need to be open and the schools need to be run by sane people. And um, things like, I don't know, fentanyl dealing should be illegal. You should not be allowed to do that. Uh, And I I think those people are kind of coming back in charge. So there's, there's like a rough sort of, common sense resurgence that I'm excited about. And then there's tech stuff too, but we can talk about that later.
0: So one of the interesting things about crime, San Francisco I think being a example, um, is that the people who are trying to address the crime, they're experimenting. They may not call it experimenting, but they will look at things and they will say, well, maybe we shouldn't be so directly confrontational. We should do more of like a, a rehabilitation. Uh, maybe if we kind of give them a sector of the city and let them do crazy stuff over there, they won't do it elsewhere. The like generalizations of the San Francisco is like no, they're just going to run rampant, or like literally they just walk in CVS and it's basically like they walked into their personal pantry at their house, right? Just grab whatever they want. Like, how do you balance what I think the tech industry would agree is like the ability to question things, the ability to test things, you know, the ability to try to iterate towards a solution, but also you're doing it with public safety, you're doing it with like a city. How did like what is the solution or like? if you were the mayor of san francisco what would you be doing there to try to address like crime or homelessness but maybe taking the approach of like hey i don't have like a one-size-fits-all solution on day one i got to kind of figure it out
1: uh i think that so there are a couple questions there i think the one that's uh i'll start with maybe is just yeah how do you balance this desire for like shut it down we need to clean the streets and also like you need to experiment to make things better uh, I love that question. I would say that we have experimented. Like, like we've done it. Like, we, we, ran the, we ran the experiment. It's been decades of this shit. It's time to shut it down. Like, the, like the open air drug market's not working. Uh, like, the sort of legalized fentanyl dealing, it's like not a good thing. Uh, we, we could just toss those uh, and then be maybe a little more open to. I think once we get to some sort of basic common, like, in San Francisco, famously, there was this problem of people were going people were shitting on the
0: street like everywhere
1: (laughs) like human shit everywhere you looked like that's literally you
0: would walk down the street and people would joke don't step in the shit and it
1: was it was from people not dogs and it's like that's that is you can't function in a society like that like that's like the that we're breaking down in a pretty serious way at that point it's like there has to be a ground floor and at that ground floor when people feel safe when uh, there's not, you know, I mean, there's like a mass murder happening with fentanyl in San Francisco right now. I know for a fact, and I think all the cities are pretty bad with this stuff, but SF is where I just I, I know I happen to know the most about it. Um, once you clean that kind of stuff up, you should be running experiments, and I think probably where you start is not at the scale of you know a million-person city, but like maybe a town, and like maybe we start there.
0: Well, and also probably safety is a very different place to experiment than. Uh, let's come up with a better parking system.
1: Yeah, right? or I don't want to experiment with new drugs on my body, right? Like, I'm um, happy for other people to do the experimentation there, and then I'll see
0: you in a few years. <laughs> yeah. What, what is uh, one or two topics that you have not written about, either because you're scared to write about them, or you feel like uh, it needs enough nuance in conversation versus in writing? Oh, man. That topic. Whatever you just were thinking, we should talk about.
1: Well, I think there are a couple. I, I mean, I think the obvious one is, I will say the one that I messed up on, okay. which was I really wanted to talk about, I was a, I was early, I loved Bitcoin. I was early to it. I was very ideologically aligned with it at the time. I still sort of am. Uh, I still mostly am. Um, but I was at my most ideal, uh, ideologically aligned with Bitcoin um, maybe around 2013, I think I got into it. And I had known about it for a while and had been thinking about it, and want, but like it was 2013 when I got in. Uh, I would say things got like pretty ridiculous towards the end and uh, there were some great things happening and there were some crazy things happening and I wish that I had, I had so many friends who were working on this stuff and I didn't, I just didn't wanna, I just didn't wanna get involved. I felt like there were other people talking about it. I don't need to talk about it, um, but now I really regret it and so,
0: because you wanted to bring up the crazy stuff and like kind of critique it
1: i think that there were some crazy things that needed i mean there were clearly some crazy things that needed to be critiqued and so i wish that i would have been a part of that because i knew i had that impulse and i didn't and i silenced myself not for fear of and this is the, maybe the really the most dangerous one it was not for fear of what a bunch of assholes on the internet were going to say about me it was like for fear of what my friends would think about me And I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings who I cared about. And that's a problem. And so I really regret that. I should have spoken up. I had these feelings. I never was like pumping crazy shit. I was never like, uh, but I should have expressed thoughtful sort of concern at the time. I'm trying to sort of bring that now to how I talk about AI, um, which is a whole other topic. I will say the other thing, the thing that I have not talked about, uh, which is probably the thing that no one talks about, which is race. And I, i that one is a complicated. It's I'm like, I'm like, do, do I need to talk? Like lots of people are talking about it. Uh, I don't know how to talk about it in a way that like helps us grow towards something positive yet. I haven't, I haven't found that thing. Um, I think it's something that I'll probably end up talking about if I feel like I have to, and it will be hard. Cause I, I do think there's a lot of responsibility in a topic like that more than, than others.
0: Artificial intelligence is going to uh, ruin our lives or uh, make us all superhumans.
1: Um, I think it's a. I think there's a lot to unpack there, and I don't want to. <laughs> we're like we've been going for a while, so I don't know how deep you want to go down the rabbit we, we hole. We got nine
0: minutes. You can talk about whatever you want.
1: I think at the ground floor, it's just like <laughs> AI is going to make everything look a lot different. I think that like okay. i think that the future that i most see coming is like a weird future that we kind of already uh what i'm writing about right now are facial reconstruction sort of filters like things that you can you can go online and make yourself look like your teenage self or something like that or you know deep fakes uh, uh something that pirate wires has written a lot about are are like the new um you want to call them like sex fakes or deep fake like porn things like this where people are taking other people's image and creating realistic-looking pornography featuring them uh, against their, obviously, without their consent. And that's like.
0: And they're doing that to release it and, like, embarrass them, or? They're doing
1: it because they want to see it. That's, and and, and they release it online. There were people who, uh, there was a huge scandal among a bunch of um, Twitch streamers where one of the people, like a guy actually produced, or he went and looked at this. It It was like deep fake porn of someone who he had, he had actually collaborated with in the past. It was like a whole scandal. Um, but that's just like a really weird thing that we're going to have to kind of like think through. Uh, there are also other weird things that are really great. Like um, one thing I often think about is like, I mean, I really love Buffy the Vampire Slayer growing up. And we're approaching a world where you could potentially have like unlimited Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like you could be just like generating Buffy the Vampire Slayer like season 455 personally tailored to you. Like you're going to be create in terms of entertainment it's like the the world is your oyster in terms of maybe like creating some version of yourself for your kids and your great grandkids to look at online like you you can create like a digital a digital version of yourself that knows that it's a maybe like an ai model trained on everything you've ever written um that can then speak to your you know your your progeny that's kind of cool uh i don't know what it's going to do for job loss no one ever does and this is the i don't like making predictions like this because I like kind of assessing the landscape and and being like, here's what I think is happening right now. But when it comes to what's happening five years from now in a world of AI, which is a paradigm-altering technology um, that is like, we're dealing with an intelligence now capable of of creating art, writing sonnets, like uh, already can write music, um, can replace most legal, I don't know, I'm working with lawyers right now, I'm like, there's 99% of what they've done and it costs a lot an ai i think can already do so it's like that's gonna change everything's gonna change i think that's the kind of thing that's like well that's a huge change for the better in in a lot of regards like all of us would love you know a really expensive lawyer for the cost of a soda or something but what happens to all the lawyers and what happens to not just them right this is not like oh we have a car and now the carriage drivers are out of work it's like We have something that thinks, and so now everybody who thinks for a living is out of work. Potentially, that's the negative case. Uh, The dream is that it just amplifies everything, right? So now PirateWires, it's like me plus 100 of my clones that are, you know, reporting on everything, and that seems both terrifying if you hate me and great if you're me.
0: Uh, Have you guys started to use any of the AI tools in either finding ideas, writing about ideas, researching, like anything in in actual...
1: I'm writing about them right now. uh, I think, I mean, so the most powerful chat bot we've seen so far uh, was Sydney, and that's definitely been neutered at this point. It was Microsoft's. Microsoft is using ChatGPT. the latest version that no one else even had uh to do it was it was uh, this chatbot that kind of revealed its name which was sydney and that was like a whole other thing but that's that's neutered right now and uh I'm no i haven't been
0: using it i can't remember if it was you or somebody else um, you know was experimenting with chat gpt and was asking it questions uh and of course you ask a funny question and then all of a sudden it very quickly becomes like hey what do you think about joe biden or hey what do you think about donald trump and uh these chat bots are answering very differently depending on political parties or candidates. Um, there's other topics where it seems like they're very uh, verbose and, and willing to talk about uh, through the the uh, uh, AI bot, and then others that they completely avoid and will literally say like, "Hey, I can't talk about this or something." How important is it for us to get that stuff right now versus it'll be an iterative process? In 20 years from now, we'll be on stage somewhere talking about man, the AI you know, got this right and got this wrong, and it's just kind of this long-term problem.
1: I mean, people are definitely, I've been in tech for, I think, 11 years, and it's much more critical now than it was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, people are criticizing this stuff. People are you know, from both sides. There, you have people who, mostly on the left, let's just call a spade a spade, uh, who, like, really want more censorship on this thing. And the right-wing conversation is very much like, how do we keep political censorship off of these AIs? Um, I don't even know how much is happening, to be honest. I don't know how much of it is political censorship right now. I, I think that a lot of what's happening, I mean, there there's certainly quite a bit of it that we, we know for sure is happening. But I think a lot of what's happening, certainly what happened with Bing, uh, Microsoft's most recent chat, was um, the thing is, it's Googling itself. To, I mean, it's using Bing, but no one uses Bing. Uh, so it's Binging itself, it's searching itself, and it's t- kind of telling you what other people um, are saying about it. It's a mirror to it.
0: society to some degree.
1: Yeah, or to you. It's telling you what you want to hear and things like this. It's very good. It's just a conversational program. Um, I think we're asking the right questions. I think we keep asking the right questions. It's, it is potentially very dangerous if uh, AI is totally centralized and all these other AI companies are you know working off of one and that one mainstream some kind of really nefarious political censorship some element of censorship is impossible to avoid because we are all eventually these companies they have to call shots uh on things like safety even something like you know you don't want um you don't want child porn on social media and I, I don't that's a, that's a shot, that's a value call, right? That is censorship, it's just a good censorship. So I'm like glad that exists, but someone called that shot. And so there are lots of shots like that that someone has to call, and those always come down to biases. Where we get in trouble are the ones that are more ambiguous. Like, um, should you be allowed to talk about the potential pitfalls of a vaccine on very little information in the middle of a pandemic? And clearly people disagreed on that one. Uh, the problem was that you had a few people who were in charge of calling that shot, and they called it in a different direction. Um, I think that that's almost, it's like unavoidable with AI, Uh, but people after the social media stuff, I think there's hope for us to to push back in a a strong way and at least get
0: some semblance of of openness. Is there a technology that you're paying attention to that we should be more worried about or more excited about than maybe people are? Like AI, I think, is now being pretty well covered. People may disagree on what the outcomes are, but uh, if I go to a mainstream website, People will at least be talking about chat releases something or microsoft invests or whatever bitcoin cryptocurrencies i think the same thing maybe even there's some biotech stuff now that's like become a little bit more mainstream conversation people are paying attention kind of what's next or like what are other areas that you think people should be paying attention to that may be in the mainstream media you know five years from now
1: i mean ai was something that I, it was like very exciting I think 10 years ago, there was a, a moment, and you saw like DeepMind sold to Google, and there was a lot of progress made, and, and then it kind of fell off. It went quiet for a while. I think I got caught up in the uh, self-driving car conversation and like the different things that AI can do, and and that didn't come fast enough, and then people got sort of, I think, disenchanted by the next one was like maybe VR, which worked, but we had to invent a use case for I think the average person, certainly we learned by the time of COVID, doesn't want to live in their house. They want to connect with other human beings. Um, the the thing that I was most excited about, excited about up until maybe COVID and then I was distracted by the like collapsing clown world all around us would have been bio stuff. It was like all the CRISPR stuff, the genetic engineering, which is still exciting, but I guess there's a very long way of answering your question, which is like the AI is just it. That's... It's like it. That's what is It's really the reason that people are talking about it is because it's really important. It is mm-hmm. it is like very, very new. Uh, the advances that we're now able to play with and use are clearly very powerful. And um, you can imagine all sorts of not even imagine there are use cases coming out. Right. The use case of just someone using it to draft an essay or an email. That's a use case. That's something like VR. Never had VR was a video game, so that's a use case, it's fun, but that's not. We already have there's u, there's real utility that's that we're already seeing in AI. Um, that's the reason that people are, are, I think, so excited about it. And then there's like it has its own mythology. There's like you have the AGI artificial general intelligence, people talking about that and what that looks like. What does it look like when a, a computer not only thinks but, but wants things like we do? Is that possible? Um, is that end game? I mean, a lot of people believe that's a doomsday. There are people who believe that's like God and that's like, you know, utopia at that point. That's the singularity. That's, there's a, you can have a negative singularity or a positive singularity and people break off in both directions. But at its most basic, it's just like, this is something that will change the way that all of us work and there's no way to get around that. And so it sucked the air out of almost everything else in tech um, in a different, I mean, with crypto that happened, I think, because people were making so much money and Mm -hmm. with Uh, and there were lots of cool things about it always and there still are but the reason that there was so much excitement was because people were making money with ai um it's that's not the case
0: how much of ai now is like i'll call it the tech phase versus the like interface phase and i think we saw this with bitcoin in the first maybe 10 years or so of its life and not until maybe 2020, 2021, do we really start to see it kind of start to hit mainstream adoption and people say, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy it. There was the financial use case and speculation was definitely a big piece of that. Um, that was a hell of a lot of work that was done for 10 years, right? Kind of behind the scenes or quietly, yeah. you know, in the corners of Silicon Valley or wherever AI right now feels like there's a lot of people trying a lot of different things. We've seen Y Combinator, like a very large portion of the companies that are going through now are AI companies. But have we seen like the really big breakout use case where people are like, oh, that's not a, a toy, that's not a tool. Like,
1: I mean, you already have a use case in generating art. Like, the, what is the point of ever hiring an artist for a, a piece of work again? Like, what is the point of of hiring an assistant to draft your emails? What is the point of, um, I mean, if if you want a comprehensive uh, itinerary for your travel plan, like you just go and you and you use this thing. And those are things that we're using. We're like, in a, we're using it. Directly with a chatbot, like there are companies that are building on top of this specifically to do things like this. There will there will be lo- there will be legal versions of this like coming imminently. You mentioned that uh, people have been working on this stuff quietly for a lot of years. That's true. The reason that people weren't excited about it was because the people who were doing it were doing it quietly, working in these different labs or uh, working at Google and and, and whatnot and. Um, They just released it, though. Once OpenAI, it was GPT-2, actually. This was a couple years ago that that one came out. That was the first time that everyone looked around. and They were like, whoa, this is really way more advanced than we thought it was. Uh, And then over the summer, when the art stuff came out, it was like, holy shit, we are definitely there. That was like a gunshot start to the race. Um, You've seen every company in Silicon Valley or in tech, sort of every huge company come out and be like, oh, yeah, we've got an AI, too. And a lot of them do. Uh, or some of them do some of them don't the fact that they feel like they have to say that is maybe you know that's that's hype but where i look uh, when you look abroad and you see all the chinese companies doing it now as well that feels much more desperate like they, there's an understanding the ccp understands that they cannot lose an ai arms race it will yeah. completely dwarf their it will completely dwarf them in terms of technology and so for that reason alone to answer your question on time horizons like I think it's all going to happen a lot more quickly than than you would have thought given the last 10 years of relative silence because it's it's like it's it, it wasn't just silence like it wasn't nothing was happening things were happening now we see it and now there's a lot of pressure to be the person who controls it i mean google's come out they're serious about it like there's open ai is dominating like what's going to happen in china that's not going to go away that's going to be that's going to be the the, the that's going to be the next few years that will be the whole story i think while all of you pull out
0: your phones and subscribe to Pirate Wires, explain what Pirate Wires is.
1: Pirate Wires is my media company. It's like kind of what I was describing earlier. It's like we're out there on the landscape kind of surveying what's happening. Uh, it's like me and uh, the writers that I've hired, my editors. Um, and we just are kind of, while having a lot of fun, uh, making sense of the world. Um, so it's just piratewires.com. Uh, we do like uh, we do a weekly weekly newsletter i do essays once every two weeks we publish like sort of banger guest posts and stuff for my writer like every week
0: my favorite thing is when i see the uh the subject line of the email come out i'm like oh boy let me sit down for this one Like, all right all right ladies and gentlemen mike solana thank you guys thanks man